This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. This week's episode is the one you've all been waiting for since magic is dying. It's what happens when a store, vendor, whatever decides, you know what? That's it. I'm out. See ya. So we're basically going to talk about what can lead to that decision, what happens to the local economy based on our experiences when we've seen it happen yep. on down the line. So let's get it kicked off. Yep. Uh, so 2020 kind of accelerated things, and we've seen a lot of people either phase out of you know, owning an LGS or being a vendor or just cutting the category. And we thought, you know, things are coming back now so people are refocused on paper let's look historically back at you know what could have happened uh, with your lgs or you know a vendor you might have been working with and so we want to start local first we want to talk about an lgs and when it comes to an lgs usually what will happen is one of two things what might be easiest overall for the lgs and the kind of shortest explanation for something is they just cut the category they no longer bring in sealed product that's it but the thing is that's not bad for your lgs Abandoning that category, abandoning that vertical means that they're able to refocus and kind of re-image what they want the store to be and continue to support the local player base for other games. Magic just wasn't working out for them one reason or another. It's not the death knell for a store. It just means that Magic as a product is no longer what they want to serve. And the, the other option is they abandon singles. And from my experience, this is actually more common than abandoning the category as a whole because selling sealed isn't that difficult you just price it and put it on the shelf and you just kind of let it rot you know uh, further it stays away you can still buy spellbook gideon almost everywhere yeah but there's a lot more work that goes into singles than a lot of people think an lgs is required to do and it takes a long time and a lot of discussion to say hey it just isn't worth it anymore and that could start with just busting boxes for singles an LGS used to have to bust essentially Friday morning once people got in. They'd have to come in before hours or start their day on-prem busting. Yeah. Large vendors could start at 12.01 a.m. because they've got hourly employees, right? So people are just coming in early for their Friday shift. They just move things around, and there you go. You bust. But this is when the street yeah. date was Friday morning was when you could start, right? Yeah, this was before you had your larger vendors getting their product on Tuesday to bust. Yes. This was... Way back in the early days. Yep, or, or LGS is even being able to sell boxes at the pre-release. Like, there, there was yeah. a very real time where an LGS had to have its employees, you know, mainlining caffeine, cocaine, what have you, to get through these, these box breaks. So it starts there. And, you know, re removing singles from a store, as I mentioned, frees up employees from the busts. It also reclaims time from repricing singles, which cannot be understated. If you're an LGS and you're not hooked into the TCG player economy or Crystal Commerce where you can just kind of let things automate or upload a spreadsheet, you have to do a lot of this manually. Or the other option is to price check it on the fly. And that takes up yep. time and effort. And you can refocus your employees, your brand on something else. And it just works out better. So, oh, you have? Yeah, I was going to say the other thing about, you know, the LGS and selling singles is that to have someone who is good at it, you need someone who has experience that doesn't pay. Because usually, if you 
want to save the time of looking up every single card, like you were just saying, you have to have someone that has a pretty good price memory on yep. what this stuff is. You're not going to pay them to peruse TCG Player to memorize these prices. That's just too much. And finding those people isn't necessarily easy. So as you've said a lot of times, and this happened here locally with a couple of stores, they said, you know what? We're out of singles. It's just not worth it. We can cut our payroll, whatever. Yep. And that's something that, you know, one of the most time intensive things an LGS can do is have someone on singles. Yes. Because you have to reprice you have to reprice constantly. And if you've got binders and binders of cards or cases and cases, guess what? You gotta reprice every single one of those. Yep. Absolutely. And that takes up a lot more time than a lot of people think because there really is not a great automated solution for this. There's no market price that you could hook into and stick with. That's why something like the theory of constraints, which a lot of actual like stores that rely on physical goods can imply through the supply chain because prices are fixed. That doesn't happen at the LGS level for collectibles. Prices change all the time for singles and for aging sealed. You have to keep up with it. And so that, that's a huge, huge time sink and a huge payroll sink. So when a store backs out of singles, well, essentially that pushes their players in different directions. One could be away from the store totally. They just abandon the store because they're constructed players. You no longer have singles. Why would they bother coming in to get store credit for packs or cash? Well, cash is fine, cash is king but you're no longer able to conveniently turn that into something tangible for your deck, for what have you. So you might push players away uh, from the store totally. You could push players to digital. You know, It could possibly be a better experience than playing in a store that doesn't support its player base. Uh, an LGS here stopped selling singles. They basically went to sealed but attempted to inject standard into their rotation and it just never took off because packs don't support standard players you know you need those singles yeah you need mythics and you're just going to sit there and crack you know six boxes or so to get the two copies or three copies of a mythic you need you're going to buy singles so you might lose your, those players to digital because easier access to this it, or it could just be you know the last straw for somebody who is playing magic in paper and it's just like this is what i needed i can no longer enjoy this game at the store i'm just going to go digital and play at, at my leisure the other option, and this is what my uh, my LGS was hoping would happen, is that their player base would kind of fall into sealed and EDH formats that are just kind of self-sustaining. Sealed yep. is sealed. You're going to come in, you're going to slap down, you know, your eight, twelve, fifteen dollars, whatever it is for your packs and prize pool, and you know, just draft or you know, twenty-five for sealed deck. And EDH is a format that you know is it's great when a player can buy singles at the store, but you know, oftentimes you're going to wind up buying it online anyway. Sometimes you just need something niche and weird. And you get out of, you have to go online anyway because not most LGSs are that robust when it comes yeah. to singles. So you, you're effectively just giving these players a space to play in. And, you know, you hope they make that transition. Now, all that said, when you push somebody to sealed or EDH, that's easier for the store to support as well from an employee standpoint because you don't really need to have a judge for these events you can just leave somebody staffed in the store to take care of the store and answer questions or deal with the players as things happen you don't need to dedicate an employee to watching the event and ensuring that everything is firing and moving properly as if you would for a constructed 
format like especially modern and legacy if those are your FNMs or were your FNMs. You really need sure. to dedicate somebody yeah. there. Standard can kind of resolve itself. Or if you have somebody who wants to be a rules advisor, this is the perfect place for them. Now the interesting thing is that if players do remain at the store, this does create a power vacuum in the local economy for singles. And this can be filled in a number of ways. Some of the stores here have like pseudo contracted with uh, small time vendors on TCG Player or some local backpackers to kind of just chill out at FMs and you know fill the gaps where necessary, and they let them deal in cash transactions, which generally is a no no at LGSs. Yeah, I, it's similar. There's a few stores here that have that, and it's basically you know. Ogre back in the day was the guy, mm -hmm. and he would sit at the local FNM and he'd you know pay an amount per night or yep. per transaction. Uh, there's a couple stores that I've worked with, and it's basically been you know I'll come to your pre-release, I'll vend, here's a flat fee. Yep. You know this is what I'm paying for the space, and then there's some where I'll go and I'll be like, hey look, you guys don't have this card, I do. This guy wants to pay me cash, can I throw you 10% and call it a day? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's you know again the market. Uh, finds a way yes and that's kind of what happens a lot at the lgs level with the smaller stores that i've noticed is you have your backpacker or other small vendor that just comes in and says hey look you know here's an opportunity you don't want to deal with it you don't have to pay me i'll be here to one help bring people in and to throw a little cash your way for doing something you're not just for giving me a space yep it's essentially a, a contracted employee without the contract you know? yep whether you would just want to give them the space and let them do their thing and not take a flat fee because they're providing a service to your players. And by keeping your players at the store, in turn, you're making money. So it just becomes a really nice symbiotic relationship or can. And I think this is the one that kind of ripples a little more than the, the mid-sized vendor or the large vendor overall because this impacts a lot of like the intangible players that WotC talks about. These aren't players that are going out to um, Magic Fests. They do have DCI numbers. They do play, but a lot of times they'll come in once or twice a month or maybe even once every six months, but they're there to buy singles or play in EDH events that are unsanctioned so they aren't being clocked in war or whatever the, the new thing is now that they're trying to push. Yep. So they... Uh, you know, that's basically the LGS level, and for the most part, it really is kind of bottom line driven. When Magic just becomes a category that is too overwhelming or too unprofitable in regards to um, human capital, and the LGS has the ability to shed. Yeah. So, midsize. Uh, midsize, like a larger LGS or midsize vendor. Uh, somebody that you'll see every now and again at events. Uh, an example that I have from forever ago is somebody like Jupiter Games out of New York State. They used to do dual land events and their tournament reports uh, used to be on MTG The Source. They yep. you know, used to be known then. I think it's they're still around. I still buy singles from them anymore, but they're not really on like the Magic Fest circuit anymore. Um, no. Uh, so this, this one's kind of interesting because this is like... You know, you're not quite at the Star City or Card Kingdom level, but a prime example is one that just happened recently, and that was a miniature market. Um, it's someone who has that, like, digital footprint, like Pink Bunny, for example. Yep. Prime example. If you've bought on TCG, odds are you've bought from Pink Bunny at some point. And 
you know the brand, you know the guy, you may know the story, whatever. Uh, Hot Sauce is another prime example. It's one of those mid-sized vendors that you've seen around, you've certainly dealt with, you've probably bought and sold from, especially if you've been on an SCG, you've seen Hatsa. And when they decide to stop dealing in singles or sealed, it's a little bit different than the LGS because a lot of these places started as, you know, an LGS kind of, or have an LGS brick and mortar somewhere mm-hmm. because they need access to that sealed product. Yes, yeah. The big difference you see is that in the cases where they have an LGS, the lack of an alpha dog in the area actually makes it so that some of the other LGSs can kind of swoop in and fill in those voids. Okay. Now, you know, a place like Mini or Hot Sauce, you know, if they ever get out, they're not selling to a local store. They're going to a card kingdom or a star city or a TOA, somewhere like that, obviously. So it's not like this inventory immediately re-enters into the local market. It's more or less like, well, you know, we would really be able to acquire a lot more product if this vendor wasn't around with their buy prices. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity where these LGSs can now acquire players and acquire product. Now, the thing I've noticed about a lot of the players that go to places like this, they don't really have much brand loyalty. They're not your typical LGS player where, like you mentioned, they may show up two times a month, maybe once every six months, whatever, but they always go to the pre-release at their favorite store. That's the store they're always gonna pre-release at. They go to the FNM, it's the same one every week, and they're local to their store. Now, they're spending consistent money But to go for a gotcha game analogy, the people that are going to your hot sauces and stuff for their tournaments are whales. They may not spend as consistently, but when they do, they're dropping money on two Valks to finish their deck for the legacy event they're about to go to. Because this is the place they can go to. So what you see here is there's, one, an opportunity for the LGSs to swoop in, and two, more importantly for the listeners of the podcast, your backpackers can start to be more well-known and make more of a name for themselves. Uh, you know, back, again, as an example, back in the days of Gathering Ground in St. Louis, Ogre made his name by being the backpacker in the area and then went on to be, you know, Ogre, yep. as we all yep. know him. His own store and everything else now, yeah. And so when that happens, there's this giant vacuum. So imagine you've got a gallon jug and two-thirds of that is taken up by one liquid. The other third is taken up by a bunch of little liquids. When that two-thirds leaves, something has to fill that in. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have this opportunity. And it is almost always tied to not necessarily opportunity for sealed, because these vendors are less known for sealed and more known for their single selection. So all of a sudden, where am I going to go to get Volks? Well, I'm going to go to TCG Player because I can't go to Hatsa anymore because he's not around or I'm going to go to TCG because Pink Bunny isn't here. They do have brick-and-mortar locations, by the way. Oh, I did not know. Yeah, right? And so that opportunity exists there. Additionally, something I learned from working with Miniature Market is there are people who do develop somewhat of a brand familiarity on the GP circuit level or the Star City circuit. All of a sudden, that's when the employees matter because you may recognize you know, someone from MTG first, all of a sudden MTG first is gone, but there's this other vendor here that has two of their employees. I'm going to go try to find out what happened there. And guess what? I still get along. That's where I'm going. 
So not only does it create an opportunity locally, but on these circuits, it creates an opportunity. And this is why you go to a GP. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of freelancers that work for a bunch of different companies based on location or, you know, what time of the year it is or whatever. And that's kind of where that individual backpacker loyalty almost comes into play because there's that opportunity as well. And that's something that, you know, if you've been in the industry long enough, you've seen the same five people work for 12 different companies. And it's like, oh, well, guess the last one went under again. So you're on to the the next next, guy. And that's just how it is. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things or rather one of the quite interesting questions I have, and I don't know if there's a good answer to it, is you look at a, a mid-sized vendor or, or LGS that, that's able to hold like legacy tournaments fairly frequently because they have the stock, they have the player base. So if that store decides like, hey, or that vendor's like, hey, we no longer want to run singles, that, effect, that doesn't necessarily end the tournament series because the legacy players are going to own their cards, right? They're not yeah. just in and out of them changing. But if it does, this is my, actually more of a thought experiment, I guess, is what happens to those players in that space? If nobody else was competing for those players because they didn't want to put in the extra capital to bring in all that old card stock when they can just let somebody else take care of it and deal with those players, you know, what happens to that? Where does that opportunity go? So it's interesting because that actually happened here locally. Um, Basically, it it was the old LGS adage. And if you've ever approached an LGS and said, hey, I want to get historic events running or I want to get Pioneer. And they're like, well, if you bring people, we'll hold the event. Mm -hmm. Well, the legacy community is one of those few communities that actually organizes itself and says, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to this store this night. That's the night. That's it. Yeah. So when some of... You know, it used to be five or six places a week would hold legacy events. Some of them started closing down. Other places stopped holding legacy. So now there's basically two spots in the greater St. Louis area that hold legacy tournaments. But guess who's there every week? Pretty much the whole legacy crowd. Because, look, you may not have the singles, but we're fine going to TCG. You give us a spot to basically, like, you know, you hear the old boys club, but that's kind of what legacy has turned into locally is, you know, hey, here's the same 15, 20 guys, eight or nine of us rotate in every week, and the others are there every single week. And it's like, all right, well, we're going to come here, we're going to shoot the shit about what happened in the last week in our lives or whatever, and, you know, someone's going to play Shared Fate or World Gorger combo, and just everyone gets pissed at them. And that's 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 your Tuesday. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so essentially it's just a few steps removed from old school, which generally happens at a bar. Uh, yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, the barrier to entry legacy is, generally speaking, the money. For vintage, there also seems to be some kind of weird age uh, threshold, which I think yeah. is really just you can drink at the bar you're playing old school in. And it's like, man, whatever. Pretty much, yeah. So uh, with the midsize and the LGS out of the way, that kind of moves us on to the large vendor turnover. And I have it in my notes that this is like now kind of rarely seen. Vendors are large enough, and especially in, like, the digital era, you know, these guys now have an online presence, and they're able to sell worldwide if they choose to, or just bound to their region. So you don't really see large vendors tap out of magic or vending on the whole, unless, you know, the CE is just ready to, to get out. So under this little 
bullet point I have, it's generally the death knell when somebody wants to tap out of magic, unless you are very sure that recategorizing your business into something else and specializing in something that isn't magic, like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon is the thing to do. You could absolutely recategorize, but if you're going to abandon magic, you've got to be damn sure that it's going to work. Yeah. You know, you can get... Okay. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you, you, you. I, I was going to say, it's it's something that you're like, I think it's more common that either you're repositioning into something else. Uh, otherwise, I think it's bad for the overall health of Magic to see a vendor, one of the large vendors. Like if Star City said, you know what, uh, we can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bad for Magic. So I think it's it's more common, in my opinion, that you would see someone pivot into something else. Like... We're going to do flesh and blood box openings for some reason yeah. just to diversify. Whatever, CFB, you do you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You're doing a great job. You got it, so, dudes. Hey, power to you, Sasso. Yeah. I, I agreed. And like that's why I said I think the closing of a large vendor now is a lot rarer. Recategorization, as we both agree, is what would happen, but you have to be extremely certain. And in, in the instance of if you want to look at CFB and Star City has done it over time, they have not recategorized, they've just attempted to add new categories. And whether or not those categories uh, thrive or fail is less on them and more on the game that they're trying to recategorize as a whole. You know, you look at yeah. Keyforge, that burns super bright and has started to, to finally take a downturn. Uh, I think SCG was in that for a bit. We have Flesh and Blood now. Uh, Pokemon, I think they both did. Uh, Kai Judo, uh, the other yeah. Watsi game. Star City <laughs> stepped into it for a hot minute and yeah. eventually abandoned. And like, this was no fault of Star City or in the case of Channel Fireball with like a, oh. some of the attempted Pokemon sales and Fleshable they're doing. It's not going to be their fault if these, category, if these categories fail. But if they were to pivot from Magic to those other two, like I said, they better be damn sure that these games are going to last. That's why I... I purposefully chose Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. They have a pedigree behind them. You know, they're not that much younger than no. Magic is as a whole. And I believe the market cap on Yu-Gi-Oh is like two to three X the market cap on Magic. So yeah. it does make sense to move into something big like that. But like something fleeting like Card Fight, Vanguard, or Buddy Fight, Wibeshwars, etc. There might you might have some diehards forever, but that's not going to cat carry you as a vendor. Yeah. And as it really isn't often seen, the power vacuum that's left when one vendor exits is, can, or not is, but can be incredible. You know, it becomes this huge scrum because you're not just looking to fill the presence of that vendor at events or online. You know, this is asset liquidation. I didn't touch yeah. on that on the LGS level because it's not that grand. They'll usually go to buy lists or locals. They'll just start cutting sales and get out and like naturally attribute and then eventually bulk out. It just happens over time. But asset liquidation at the vendor level is incredible. We touched yeah. on Gathering Gown previously. That was like an over a million dollar buy just for the Magic stock. That yeah. was a large chunk of change to be picked up by a vendor. And it created this interesting gap in the area. It allowed other people to step up and kind of take that place, open new stores, new vending opportunities, etc. And I think it's also when that happens and all of a sudden you see this vacuum, uh, again, and this kind of overlaps with when your midsize vendors close, some of those personalities from that business may decide to stay in the business and kind of fork out on their own. Mm -hmm. So you may see all of a sudden, you know, someone from MTG Seattle 
if they ever go under branch out and say, hey, you know what? I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to try this store. Let's let's try it out. And that's kind of what happened with Ogre after Gathering Ground was he said, all right, well, I'm going to try to do my own thing. And there you go. And it is. It's much more of a massive asset liquidation. And this is the kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes. Yes. You're not necessarily going to know who Star City sold to or who Gathering Ground sold to unless you know someone who knows. They're not going to advertise it. They're not going to say, hey, sorry, we, you know, shipped all our stuff off to Card Kingdom, guys. Mm -hmm. Don't know what to tell you. So uh, you got to pay attention to it. And this actually dovetails uh, well into the next point I had, which is a little off topic, but it eventually rolls in, is that this isn't bad for the larger scope of players. Like, no. this is perfectly fine. The only real issue is that if that vendor that sells out had a large presence online in the open market space, and this is where it dovetails, and is sold essentially privately behind the scenes, and those cards no longer exist in the open market ecosystem, they move back to the closed market ecosystem, that is when things get a little bit awkward or bad for players because there was just a huge reduction in stock on the open market, and now you have to like dig around to find it. Or like now the, the the water mark is just raised overall on this incredible inventory amount of inventory that just yeah. moved from one vendor to another, and it doesn't like shuffle the market, but it can ripple, especially in that closed ecosystem for that that initial vendor. And like you said, you'll never be able to track it unless you're looking for it, and you just it, it just crosses your plate when you're like, oh, this vendor uh, like restocked incredibly. This other one went out well. You know, the, the line here was probably a sale, exactly a sale behind the scenes. Yeah. And the last bullet point I have about this is that, you know, when a vendor ducks, they're just, they fade into dust. It's not that bad. You know, the change of the old guard, never bad. That's, you know, essentially how you breed innovation. You need to come in, you need to do something interesting. And those that do not change or keep up will get forced out. Uh, I can't even remember what it was. Was it GP? It was GP Pittsburgh. It was a modern event. And, all I remember was that the giant cards were Gristlebrand, Goblin Guide, and Huey Jensen was playing Is It Storm. But yeah. that was one of the first events I saw a North American vendor bring television screens to their booth. And yep. it was Wizards Tower out of Canada. And they had their buy list or their hot lists right there. And that essentially forced vendors to change what they were doing. And now, you know, TV screens on prem or projectors are very commonplace yep. for their bias because people can see it across the room they don't have to walk up to the booth they can see it further away further away and make their choice like right then and there and it kind of reshape things nobody was forced out but this is just innovation in the space and eventually if you continue to refuse to keep up and update with the times you will just get pushed out of the space and that changing of the guard is welcome yeah and that's Kind of how it goes when a vendor gets out. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't adapt, you'll die, mm -hmm. more or less. Yeah. It's just how it goes. Much like Wizards of the Coast is killing magic by maladaptation. Oh, I was going to say much like the year 2020, adapt or die. Like, that was that was really Fair. it. You know, you, you got to enter the digital market space, man, to, as an LGS to keep up. You got to, you know, press the flash as a, a, mid to, a mid-sized vendor or LGS if you want to, if you want to keep you know, churning through because the loss of that player space, the loss of people oh, being yeah. able to come in and buy singles, you know, really that affects the bottom line. But if you could put it yeah. all online, you know, there you go. 
you know, one of the things that's kind of a through line no matter what level you are. Uh, if you follow Ben Blauers on Twitter, he's been, you know, very vocal. Not complaining, but just adding a lot of people at Wizards was, what are the SKUs for these products? We have a yeah. million, billion products that we need to start placing on our website. Because and we don't have SKUs. We don't have SKUs. And now that's a problem for everybody. You know, another, uh, my LGS, they, uh, geez, their system was so old that, like, I think they just bucket the majority of it under magic. There was no individual SKUs. But when they had to actually go through and digitize everything for their Square website, that was like two weeks worth of process. Yeah. And I think they actually closed for a full week to start it because they had to go back and inventory like all the war game stuff that they have. Like, that was hell on wheels and it affects everyone top to bottom yep. in, this, in this industry. But you know, for the most part, coming out of this, you know, we shouldn't really see this moving forward. You might see the, the change at the LGS level, like we mentioned, but for the most part, you know, the magic ecosystem in and of itself is still alive, still kicking, still thriving. You know, if you're a content creator, GFL, I guess, but, you know, yeah. as a player, eh, thumbs up for rock and roll. Right. Picks? Yes. I went first last week. Yep. You go first All this right. week. I'll go. Yep. This is another one of those cards that I picked. It's a, a mono-generating card, and it's weird for me to want to have to defend these picks. But I will say, when I when this card was spoiled, I was, like, way high on it, and it seemed like nobody else really cared, but whatever fuck them so uh i am a huge fan of nyx lotus okay. nyx lotus is an interesting mono rock cost four uh, which i put less than gilded lotus it etbs tapped which is the biggest downside of this thing but uh you get an amount of mana equal to your devotion to the color of your choice so overall as you see on stocks it's a, it's a pretty flat graph with a bit of a dip in November, you know, we're finally trending back up towards uh, the $2 mark. But uh, if you search out on TCG Player right now, you're not going to be able to get these for anything less than, I think, like three or four. Uh, yeah, that's right yeah. about where we are for, oh, not foil, for LP Unirman. So the interesting thing about uh, Lotus is that it is not dedicated to Devotion decks overall. You don't need to be, be playing the Devotion mechanic. If you take a look at the list of generals on Wreck, you'll see a lot of blue, which is just kind of, you know, whatever. But the more you dig in and move past the commanders, you see that it opens up from things like just the gods or planeswalker commanders into just a whole hell of a lot. You know, we're seeing a ton of white and red under and black under high synergy. It's not just blue. But... It still really only plays in Devotion or like Pips Matters decks across all colors. Um, for the most part, it favors monocolored decks, uh, some multicolored, but you have to be a little more heavily slanted towards one color than the other. So imagine you're playing Demir Mill with Feynak as your general. You're going to be slanted more blue. Not really, it's just an example. Um, and I think the issue with this card is that it's not at the forefront of the build process it's an afterthought. So you play your deck for a while and you're like, I'm kind of stuck here. I need a little bit more acceleration. I need to reevaluate where I'm getting my mana, my rocks. You find Nyx Lotus and you're like, oh, this is it. This is what I need. This is my dude. Exactly. It's a worse Nykthos, but at the same time, uh, can be better because you can combo out with it. So 
format information on this card, as I mentioned, it's pretty open-ended, which promotes a diverse uh, strategy you know, across the board, giving us a pretty broad spectrum to work in. You know, we're not looking at a dedicated tribe like I looked at previously. We're not looking at, um, you know, Death Renderer, which I said was kind of a polarizing piece of equipment. This just plays across the format. Um, it allows for continually explosive returns, meaning that, you know, once you play it, you're able to untap it. You're just able you more mana, more mana, more mana, more mana than you'll ever get off a of Gilded Lotus. And the drawback of entering the battlefield tap is minimal at best, as most deck or in most decks that can reach a high pip count quickly. You're fine on tapping this if you can tap it the next turn for seven. So, it's not as fluid as something like Gilded Lotus in three or four color decks, but it combos in the same monocolored and two colored decks. So. Anyway, you can combo with Gilded Lotus. You can also combo with uh, Nyx Lotus. And so you can get there. You can go further, faster, higher with this card. So timeline overall. We've seen solid growth over the last four months in both the open market and closed market. So when I started tracking this card in December, Card Kingdom was buying 122 at $1.80. They're buying 126 at $3 when I picked this card on uh, TCG Player. There were 190, sorry, there are 391 at 261, and there are 193 at 445. Yeah, the, the market is now 448 for this. So solid growth, solid growth of the last four months. So the combination of a steady buy quantity, like I said, approximately 120 uh, on CK for the four month span, alongside a growing buy price at Card Kingdom and a shrinking quantity on the open market we lost about 50% of overall quality in those four months and increased prices in the open market point to a midterm break even with a longer term profit goal. So I expect about six to nine months, which is where you're gonna be able to get out of this card if you were to buy in like now, 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 now. Um, I don't think this is going to take a content creator to really break open the popularity of the card based on the numbers that we have seen thus far. A shrinking supply that triggers a price increase large enough to hit stocks would most likely put us over the top. I think this, this is a card that's just kind of teetering right now. Like I said, it's an afterthought. And the moment that it becomes part of the initial build, that's when this card just kind of takes off and never comes back. It's also bound to Theros, the, the Nyx stuff, Nyx Bloom... Yeah. Uh, Shrine and Nyx, etc. is all locked into Theros. So we we need something themed for Theros or another return to Theros before we see this kind of stuff again. This is Watsi's like convenient alternative to Nykthos, Shrine and Nyx. They just gave you... They tried to patch Cabal Coffers. It didn't quite work out. So they gave you Nyx Lotus. And you can still combo like hell with this card. Uh, as far as foils go, because I'm sure you're going to hit me with that one. Right now, you can actually buy foils for cents more than you can buy set non-foils and yeah. uh what is card kingdom doing with these because i'm sure it's a good question not a huge fan but i, I do this for you um, i appreciate it <laughs> card kingdom is not buying set foils right now they are buying variants meaning the extended art and the pre-release foil and that's it and they're also buying 153 right now for $3.70. So since Friday, they are buying more for more. Yep. So uh, That's almost a direct arbitrage opportunity, too. Yep. Uh, $4.81 credit. You can definitely arbitrage right now off TCG Player. Not there are... Many. Well, yeah. Some. Yeah. All right. So mine 
is a future pick, kind of. Comes out this weekend, right? Ooh, it's a good question. Continue talking, I'll tell you. Yeah, anyways. Uh, mine is Rip Apart Set Foils from Strixhaven. So why Rip Apart? First off, and this is unrelated to the financial viability, that art is sick. Anyways, this kind of occupies the same niche as Boros Charm. So I see it having a similar foil lifespan and just playability lifespan as Boros Charm. It's a two-mana, versatile piece of removal that actually does something that red doesn't often get to do in destroying an enchantment. Mm -hmm. So right now, you can get foils for about $2. There are a ton of them for $2 on TCG Player. I think that timeline-wise, you're probably looking at about eight to nine months. So uh, if you take a look... Oh, wanna, go ahead. I want to put out a correction on this. I filtered uh, while we started the call. There's four, five, eight, nine, ten. There's 12 foils left on TCG Player for the set. All right. Yep. <laughs> so if you look at the foil lifespan for Boros Charm, we had on release... It was at about $8 on MTG stocks. It took a full year for it to hit $20. I think we're looking at a similar timeline here in terms of doubling up. Unless, which obviously we had TCGCon announced. For those of you that haven't seen, we'll put that link out there for everyone. Uh, once we get large-scale paper events back, especially modern especially god willing even though it's never going to happen legacy, legacy. Ah, that would be great anyways uh once that happens cards like rip part will start to explode because something that's going to happen and this is historically accurate we're going to get back into a fresh meta what decks do really well in fresh metas really fast aggressive decks like burn so people are going to want this. Most people probably already have burn foiled out, so they're going to need foil rip-aparts. Someone's probably going to build the deck prior to the event that weekend and say, well, I want to foil it out, because why wouldn't I? I have the fetchlands already. What could it cost yeah, to get the rest? I, I, I've seen it at, like, literally one out of every three <laughs> GPs. Yep. Somebody comes by and oh. says, hey, what do you have for foil burn? I'm building the deck for the event this weekend. I don't know why. For sure. Anyways. Getting in at $2, I think you're looking at a realistic buy list out in 8 to 12 months, assuming that the production issues with Strixhaven continue. So Strixhaven is very, very tightly allocated. Yes. Not quite as tightly as Time Spiral Remastered was, which is basically out of print at this point. But if these allocation issues continue, that's going to be a huge deal for the financial viability of this set long term, especially looking at the alternate art cards like the Japanese showcase. Yep. One thing I will say, we do have the promo pack of this card coming out. I'm not concerned about that because paper events at the LGS level aren't really happening right now. So who knows how many of these are actually going to get sent out to LGSs at large. Uh, I'm fully willing to admit that if a bunch of those get out there on this card, you're probably looking at a longer timeline than a year on the double up. Yep. The reason I say to get in now is because, one, the set's coming out. You're going to have your dip on price point where, hey, this is as cheap as it's going to be for a long time. You've got peak supply right now for the next couple months. Mm -hmm. And it's just a good time to buy in. That said, this is definitely going to be one of those cards that you're going to buy. And just like my 
growing stack of sarkins on ceilings that's going to sit in a box for a while. So just be forewarned, this is a long-term buy. We're looking at eight-plus months on this. Mm -hmm. So that caveat, I think it's solid in that time that you'll be able to double up and cash buy list, not just credit. It's also the type of thing that you can just throw it in your binder and similar to the Delver foil Delvers of yesteryear. You're five bucks off, here's a rip apart, even yeah. it up. Yeah, uh, the flexibility of rip apart is really what kind of seals this for me overall. We were talking before the cast and um, I would misheard that there was a lightning helix in a set. Helix is in the Mystic Archive and I thought uh, rip apart was uh, the lightning helix because it costs the same and the way it was bullet pointed, I just thought it was helix. But combining, like, wear tear and smash the smithereens, destructive revelry, into a modal spell is pretty appealing for at least, you know, historic and standard aggressive decks, be it burn or just something that wants to control the board a little bit in a hostile environment. I don't know about Pioneer because that format just has kind of seemed to wane and is in a weird spot right now. But the ability to tag an enchantment or artifact seems really important on this spell. If it was one or the other, I don't think it would be nearly as useful as it is. And you're locked into creatures or planeswalkers on the, the direct damage part of it. But again, sure. I don't really think it matters that much in those formats. Because if you have to remove a creature from the board, you should be winning fairly quickly thereafter. In standard and in historic, you do have some odds and ends prowess creatures that play well with this. So removing a large blocker or doing weird things with Soul Scar Mage and a flex with a spe flexible spell like this, you know, triggering prowess there is fairly important to the game plan overall. You know, efficiency sake, this is as efficient as efficient as most two CMC burn spells that we see short of Boros Charm. So overall, I think all the numbers are right on this card. And to me, the only thing that is weird about it is that it's sorcery speed, but hey, we play Lava Spike for a reason in Burn. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's the one Hits from the Kamigawa dome. block? Yep. Yeah, Dart. Hits the dome. dome. Yep. But it's a sorcery, right? We have we play yeah. it for a reason. So I, I think this is a, a good look uh, overall and probably one of the easier picks in foil for a pre-release set. Um, of note, I'll, I'll bring it up because it was the only way I could find the art, the promo pack for Strixhaven. I don't know how to describe the art overall, what style this is, uh, but they did it for Mortify and some other odds and ends um, time warp, and they don't use it all the time. Whether or not people care about that frame versus some of the other ways they can do promos, um, yeah. I don't know, but to me, that background is just ass, and I'd much rather have the set it's foil. It's so bad. Yeah. yeah. I'd much rather have the, the set foil. I think it just looks better overall. So even if this does come in a promo pack, there's still, you know, the possibility that people are going to buy the set foil over this. Uh, it's interesting to note, though, that the set foil, uh, the promo has a Planeswalker symbol. The yeah. set foil has the school symbol superimposed in the background. Oh, yeah, it's hard to see. Um, it's so assuming yeah. it follows the, you know, return to return to Ravnica foiling principles, you'll see that symbol foiled out, too. Yeah, so. which will look pretty dope. That's yeah. neat. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like this card. I I compared it to Kologon's Command before the cast, um, and I, I think it's just that flexible. Atarka's Command, you know, both spells yeah. see a high level of play in various formats. So I'd be super happy buying in on a handful of rip-aparts, either for play or for trade later on for 
exactly the reasons you listed. Yeah. I think that's going to be it for this week, though, right? 23rd, by the way, for Strixhaven. Yes. Oh, so, yeah, I forgot. Not I looked quite out yet. Yeah. yeah, we got a couple of weeks. Uh, Arena release is the 15th. That's the one that, that threw me. People are getting uh, yeah. huffy about because Watsy pooped on their um, their free marketing. Weird. Yeah. We hate content yeah. creators. They work for free. Boo them. Whatever. But for MTG Cabalcast, which you can find on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google play google podcast whatever it is i am at halt i am reptar on twitter you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you next week